What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Blinking Nintendo Gaming Podcast. My name is VJ, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about the recession era of gaming. Yes, the recession era of gaming. If you guys remember, the recession was a time from, like, I'm going to say late 2007 to, like, 2009, 2010. Listen, I was in high school. I always heard the word recession. I knew shit was hitting the fan. I knew, like, stuff with the auto industry was all fucked up. I heard about the word bailouts. But, guys, I was 15. I was 16. I was thinking about chicks, man. It's a fucking recession. But even though I lived through it, didn't know much about it, you definitely saw a societal change through it, which I think lasted past 2009, like, I'm or 10, I'm going, like, 2011 and 12 is really when you start, okay, the recession is, like, really over, and in that time frame, people were trying to save money, and consuming media, which were either movies, TV shows, music, gaming, was a cheaper alternative at that time, I mean, you could, you know, get a movie from Netflix, and, you know, buy popcorn from the grocery store, and watch a movie from home for far less than it would cost to go to a theater, you know, so it, it it's kind of like the pandemic going on right now. People are consuming so much more media. One, they don't want to spend as much money. And two, they have more time. And there's no doubt the recession had a massive ripple effect in the gaming world, too. You see, the seventh generation was my generation for sure. You know, I grew up in that era and I was about as deep into the gaming world as I'd ever been probably ever in my life around that time since I was in middle school and high school I had nothing else to do so here are some of my thoughts about the recession era of gaming and the shift the industry took so this isn't like a David Letterman top 10 list or anything but I got a list let's do the damn thing let's just start it off with there were so many yearly sequels that was a trend that you definitely saw in the recession era of gaming they just didn't really want to release a lot of new IPs. You know, you look back at 2007, which I still think is the greatest year in gaming ever. You had games like Mass Effect, Uncharted, Bioshock. 2008, you had some great heavy hitting games coming out as well that had new IPs. But then the recession hit, and these companies were like, hey, it's so much cheaper to just release sequels. Games that we know the fans are going to buy regardless. And that's what it was. Every year there's a new Call of Duty. Every year there's a new Assassin's Creed. Every single year. Without fail. And these companies were too scared to put out new IPs because they didn't want to spend the money. And then people didn't buy them. And again, it was the recession. You couldn't, you couldn't take those risks. And so, hey, we'll do it. We'll just keep releasing, you know, Uncharted, Mass Effects, whatever. Which is fine. Which is fine. Listen, we got a couple new IPs, Left for Dead, things like Demon Souls. But if you really look back, I would say 2008 to 2012, 13, every year. Again, there was a Call of Duty every year. There was an Assassin's Creed every year. And it didn't have to be like that. I mean, it was never like that other than sports games, which were really just roster updates. But outside of that, you didn't need to release Call of Duty every single year, but that's what they did, and obviously that trend carried off over to the eighth generation, till finally they were like, okay, there's some fatigue. I mean, come on, 
every year is new Call of Duty. That's like saying every year is new Final Fantasy. I love Final Fantasy, but if, if I had to play a new one every single year, calendar year, it would get fatiguing for sure. And, I, and all these sequels after sequels after sequels, I was a Call of Duty guy early on. I love Call of Duty 3, COD Mod 1, COD Mod 2. Great. And then I kept going. And I mean, come on. It was too much. So, too many yearly sequels. That, that was that's the first thing. Another one, a small thing, but one that eventually blossomed into something bigger. No more game manuals. And I talked about that in uh, a couple episodes before. Game manuals, when they started taking those away and making those digital, you know, I know a lot of people were like, oh, fuck it, you know, it's not a big deal. To me, it was. Because it really signaled, okay, they're trending this thing over to a more digital side. You know, and I get they're trying to save money. They don't want to put the paper. I get that. I get all that. But they also want to trend things over digitally where it's like, hey, we don't have to put this paper in here. That's old school. That's bullshit. I get that. But as a kid that grew up, you know, in the GameCube, PS2 era and all that kind of stuff, every game had a fucking massive manual. And part of the fun of getting a new game was riding in the back seat, opening the case, you know, flipping through the manual. Hey, let me see the characters I'm going to play as. Let me look at the gameplay. Some of those even had like a little walkthrough for like the first like dungeon or the first hour of the game. Oh, this is what I got to do. I got to do this. Find that. It was great. I get that. Listen, save money, no paper, you know, save the trees. I'm all about that. But, you know, that was a recession era trend because they're trying to save money. And, it, you know, again, it's blossomed over where, like I said in a couple episodes before, more than 50% of all game sales are digital. So... You know, I guess they're on something. But to continue with this kind of digital online trend, there was increased focus on online multiplayer. That was a big thing in the recession era. Online multiplayer. Games like Halo 3, COD Mod, COD Mod 2, those were huge, 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 huge in really pushing forward online console gaming. I mean, y'all remember... Man, people were on those games. I know we still play them today, but I think about back then how novel it was to be playing a game in a lobby with 20, 30 guys from all over the world. It was incredible. It was incredible, and I love that. The problem I had was they started taking focus away from the single-player campaign and putting all those focuses on the multiplayer. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But you got to satisfy both sides of the coin. Yeah, there's some guys who care about the online and don't care about the, camp, the single-player campaign. There's guys like me who, who I really don't care about online play. I, I'd much rather have a campaign, a story mode. And you start seeing with games like Mag, a massively online game, which I don't even think had a single-player mode. You know, um, Black Ops 3, I believe, on the PS3. You could only, If you bought that physically... All you got was the online version. You couldn't even play the campaign. So people started to, to deviate from the story being the most important part and the online being secondary to the online being first and the single-player campaign experience being secondary. And that's because they wanted to shoehorn microtransactions, DLC, and season passes. You know, I talked about this when we talked about the original Xbox. DLC, when it first came out, 
was a great idea. You had a game like um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 or whatever. And you release the game. People fucking love it. Oh, this game is great. This game is awesome. I love it. And the developer goes, well, damn, you all love it. Let's add some more shit. Let's add a couple levels. Let's add a couple more new characters. Let's enhance the game because you guys love it so much. They waited till after we played it and after we fell in love to then add the, the DLC. They don't do that anymore. You know, the infamous story being Street Fighter Cross Tekken, where they made you pay for DLC for characters that were on the disc. You had to pay money to unlock those characters that were on the disc. And there was no other way to do that. And that's faulty. And that's a problem. And that's when they bastardized DLC. They announced DLC before the games even released. No. I think that's fucking stupid. Release the game if it's successful and people want more. Then add more. But no, they want to, you know, again, it was the recession. To whatever they can do to try to take your dollars. And you got to think, you buy DLC, you buy microtransactions online, like on the digital store. That money goes straight to the, the, to the publisher and developer. They don't have to share that with, you know, if I go to GameStop and I get a, a download code or whatever from, the, no, no, no. They get all that shit if you buy, it, you know, through the console. And that's what they were trying to do. So I'm a fan of DLC. I love DLC. I think uh, Spider-Man on the PS4 has some of the best DLC I've ever played. But I just think they bastardized DLC. But let's get on the microtransactions. I got a big problem with those. And those started really in the recession era. And they're, they haven't gone away since. The problem I have for microtransactions is I get it. It's cool if, you, if you're playing 2K and you'd rather just pay real money to get virtual currency and upgrade your character. I understand that. If you look at games like you know Gran Turismo 7 and how reliant it is on microtransactions, that really you cannot beat the game in a, in a timely fashion without spending extra money. And that's the problem. You shouldn't... It shouldn't be like, hey... If you don't buy microtransactions, you're screwed. It's an option where it's like, okay, if you want them, great. If you don't, you're still going to have a lot of fun with the game, and it's not bogged down by these little baby-ass purchases. But, unfortunately, that's where we are right now, and everything's got microtransactions. Everything, you want extra game money. You want you want you know this extra item pay. And I just don't think, I'm not a fan of that at all. I'm not a fan of microtransactions at all. And it's getting to the point, like, I got a six-year-old, and she's got an iPad. And even those games, you know, oh, pay for this, pay for that. I'm like, dude, it's, it's a fucking kid. So I, they got to get rid of those. I'm sick of those. And I'm not a guy that supports that at all. I don't do microtransactions. I ain't paying for that shit. I pay for the game. It's enough. Get off my ass. All right. And then we get to season passes. Season passes. Season fucking passes. So I buy a game for 60 bucks, 70 bucks now, and you tell me you buy the season pass of another 50 bucks or 60 bucks, you get all the DLC, you get all this shit. <sighs> so you're telling me now 
the game costs $120, $130 for the game. I got a problem with that. I got a big problem with that. But I'm just not a fan of season passes and, and really like, you know, hey, consumer, you can spend 60 or you can spend 120 How about that? Like, you're just sucking us dry. I got I got So, yeah, I don't support season passes. I don't think I ever bought one. I don't intend to. <laughs> I don't intend to. So, the bigger shift to online, digital, they did it because the publishers and developers get to keep more of the money. And a perfect example of this is the PSP Go that came out in 2009. 2009, guys. So, it was a game system, as console, that was all digital, completely digital. And we're talking about, again, 2009. Before the Xbox One Sad or whatever, the digital version. Before the Xbox Series S. Before the digital PS5. They did this in 2009. And to do this, they had to say, okay, from 2009 on, every PSP game that we release physically is going to be on the PSN store as well digitally. And you got to think, for me, that was what, 16, 17 at that time? Absolutely mind blowing to me. Absolutely mind blowing to me. That you could do that. Really, I know. And I know they started doing that around that time, but to put it on a handheld like that, I thought it was incredible. Um, at that time, though, we weren't looking for this. People weren't looking for this. They didn't care about this. It was what do I do with my older games? That was what I always thought about when I heard about the PSP Go. I said. What the hell do I do with the old games I got physically? You know, I remember I was almost thinking, I didn't remember at the time, people were spitballing ideas. You could take your um, the UMDs, you can go to a special place, they can rip it over onto the memory card, and there you go, you can play it through there. You know, because nobody wanted to go back and buy the games they'd already bought physically again digitally. You know what I mean? So I think at that time, people just were not ready for that at all. All and we're talking about three, four years before Microsoft with their whole DRM shit. So, I, yeah, that was a big shift to digital, which again I understand now. I get it now. I think it's great. If if more money goes to these developers and publishers, which means I get better games in the long run. I mean, I I'm I'm okay with that. I'm totally cool with that. And to keep this theme going of online digital, you gotta look at the rise. Of the indie games. Yes, indie games really took form in this recession era. Games like Braid, Castle Crashers, Limbo, Xbox Live Arcade were ways for smaller developers now, indie developers, to come out and release their own games for relatively cheap prices. So I think that was great. And I think that it was necessary because... We need to share the wealth, you know. Other people can create games, too, and have great ideas, too. Again, Braid's a fantastic game. Who would have thought? I mean, do you think a major corporation would have done that? Maybe not. Or even taking a risk to do that? Probably not. Even Especially in that time, it was everything was 3D. So to see this, I thought it was incredible. And look at how far indie gaming has come. Look how far. Look at stuff like Limited Run, where these indie developers can now get their games officially on discs that's great that is great 
So I do love that. Again, not everything about the recession era was was bad. I actually think most of the stuff in this era was great. I have so many fond memories of this era. And to continue, let's talk about Sony and Microsoft trying to copy Nintendo with the Kinect and the PlayStation Move. So, the Wii was killing. Kicking ass, taking names. That's what it was doing. And Microsoft and Sony looked around saying, what the fuck? How the fuck do we compete with these motherfuckers? How do we get on that level? We're already graphically better. We support online. We do all that. We do all these things. Yet this little fucking machine is kicking our ass. What do we do? Well, you can't beat them. Join them. And that's what they tried to do. Coming out with the Kinect. Coming out with the PlayStation Move. And I thought both of those were just fucking stupid. They were just fucking stupid. There was no reason that they needed to be released. Stay in your lane. Nintendo stays in theirs. But no, you got to copy the big boys on the block. And that's what they try to do. And yeah, I think the Kinect and the PlayStation Move, like technologically, um, the way they, they, the, they work, so much better than the Wii. Like the technology behind it. But what's the, what good is the technology if you can't play any good games on it? You know, yeah, I got a thousand dollar, you know, iPhone, you know, thirteen Pro Max. But I got no service. So what the fuck? You got this fucking expensive machine. Can't do nothing with it. You know, so it's the same thing with the connected PlayStation Move. The games that they came out with, I just thought were fucking terrible, subpar. You know, they try to compete with the Wii, but Nintendo's just different. They get it. And Sony and Microsoft did not get it. And Microsoft still tried to fucking continue with the Kinect, even with the, you know, Xbox One. Why? It's fucking stupid. Now, another thing I like to talk about, if you all forgot, if you guys grew up in this era, the rise and fall <laughs> of rhythm games. You know, I grew up, I remember my, my uh, one of my best friends in elementary school, his brother had Dance Dance Revolution, DDR. Had the fucking dance pads, all that. And boy, I thought that was awesome. It was great. But it wasn't, you know, yeah, you saw it in some arcades. People knew what it was. It wasn't a mainstream fad. But really, I think it starts with Guitar Hero 3. That was the start. That was the start. That blew everything up. Do you guys remember after Guitar Hero 3 came out? And then Rock Band came out. Do you guys remember going to people's houses and they had the Rock Band set up? And, yo, what are we going to do? Let's play Rock Band. And you guys all get together and you're on drums, you're on bass, you're singing, you're on guitar. It was so fun. It was so fucking fun. All the song choices. all It was great. It was great. Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. Because... It became oversaturated. All right, we had Guitar Hero 3. Cool. We got Rock Band. Great. That's awesome. Well, then we got Guitar Hero Van Halen, Guitar Hero Metallica, Green Day Rock Band, Beatles Rock Band, Guitar Hero on Tour, Guitar Hero, Band Hero. They they came up with a a family-friendly version, Band Hero. It was too much. 
It was too much. And then, yeah, oh, Rocksmith. Let me come out with some shit. You know, it was too much. They were oversaturating the market. If you just fucking kept it simple, release a couple of games here. These fuckers, every, everything. Aerosmith had a game. Uh, everybody had a game. And after time, people were like, yeah, I'm over this. I pick up a real guitar, real guitar and learn this shit. The fuck am I doing with this plastic shit? And granted, again, I still love those games. You know, I still have Guitar Hero. Um, what's the one on fucking uh, DS? Uh, I forgot. But I got that one. It's fucking great. You know, I went to a Valley Village a few years ago. Fuckers had all the guitars in the box. I bought them. They're great. And so the rise and fall of rhythm games. And I thought those were great. But that is definitely, definitely a that is a recession era gaming trend if I've ever seen one before. So we got the rise and fall of rhythm games. And the, I think the last thing I'm going to talk about, the extremely long console cycles. This generation was unusual because the consoles lasted for so much longer than they ever had. You got to think about the cycle, life cycle of, let's look at the Super Nintendo. Came out in 1991 here. N64 came out in 96. So five years. You know, five years. The GameCube came out in 2001. The Wii came out in 2006. Five years. Normally, four to five years is the window for a console cycle. But that didn't happen with this. You know, let's talk about the 360. The 360 came out in 2005. When did the Xbox One come out? 2013. 2013. So eight years. Seven for the PS3 and the PS to the PS4. It's a long time. They supported those consoles for a long time. I mean, well, I mean, we're going to the you know the ten year mark where they're still releasing new games for the PS3 and then and the and the 360. I mean, these consoles lasted a long time, and that's why I think the value for them are so great. There's so much out there. So the recession era, it was an interesting time in gaming. It was very interesting because there were so many shifts going back and forth, so many things going on. It was a special time to be around. Because there were just so many changes. It was that shift from the old school. So to see that that's where all the kind of started is, is this era of gaming. The, the, you know, the seventh generation. It cannot go without being said how important it is to gaming. It's incredibly important. And I think it's the best generation of gaming. Just so many great things that came out of that console cycle that we carry over you know, 15, 16, 17 years later. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Blinking Nintendo Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on to get the latest episodes. Check out our website at blinkingnintendo.buzzsprout.com. Also follow us on Instagram at blinkingnintendo and follow us on Twitter at blinkingnintendo using the number 10. Thanks again. Y'all are the best. Have a great day. Peace and love. Stay tuned till next time.